Today we're going to continue on in our series that we've been looking at uh, from the Great Commandment and look at the last element of uh, loving God, loving God with all of our minds. One Advent season, uh, Janie was in church with a couple of our grandsons. I was off speaking in another location. And at the children's time, when the pastor sat and talked uh, with the children, she spoke about the special gift that God had given to us in Jesus. She then went on to ask the children that were seated around her, what would be a gift that we could give to Jesus that would be special and would honor him? And so the children responded with answers such as our praise and in our hearts and other things along that line. Then our grandson spoke up and said, we could give Jesus our brains. It was obvious that the pastor wasn't quite anticipating that answer. And as she thought about it, it uh, made some really good sense to her. And so she asked our son why that would be an important gift. He responded by indicating that we would be giving to God all of our thinkings. For a five-year-old, I thought that was pretty insightful. Dallas Willard observes, the ultimate freedom we have as human beings is the power to select what we will allow our minds to dwell upon. The first freedom, as Willard calls it, needs to be given over to the controlling power of the Holy Spirit, who will guide us in all of our thinking so that our lives are realigned with God and with his ways. As we continue in our quest to find the true north bearing in our lives, we look today at the guiding principle of loving God with all of our minds. Again, we have been examining how the biblical instruction to love God with all of our hearts, with all of our soul, with all of our strength and mind becomes for us the guidance system to a good and productive life. The mind is a powerful force in determining what life becomes for us. How we think and what we think about either opens us up or closes us off to godly living. While doing some research in preparation for this talk, I came across these entries from a dog's diary and a cat's diary that show our mindset, how our mindset can make a difference in how we perceive our existence. And so here's some excerpts from a dog's diary. 8 a.m., dog food, my favorite thing. 9.30 a.m., a car ride, my favorite thing. 9.40 a.m., a walk in the park, my favorite thing. 10.30 a.m., got rubbed and petted, my favorite thing. 12 noon, lunch, my favorite thing. 1 o'clock, played in the yard, my favorite thing. 3 p.m., wagged my tail, my favorite thing. 5 p.m., milk bones, my favorite thing. 7 p.m., got to play ball, my favorite thing. 8 p.m., wow, watch TV with the people, my favorite thing. 11 p.m., sleeping on the bed, my favorite thing. Excerpts from a cat's diary. Day 983 of my captivity. (laughs) My captors continue to taunt me with bizarre little dangling objects. The only thing that keeps me going is my dream of escape. Let me just say here that if you Google these things, I, uh, I kind of shortened and sanitized the cat diary excerpt. So just to make that clear, two creatures, same circumstances, 
but different perspectives. What's the difference? It's the way of thinking. Our thoughts directly control the outcomes in how we respond to our life's situations. The speed of movement towards aligning our lives with a true north setting for loving God is largely controlled by what we allow to shape our minds. The pace with which we move forward with our thinkings is determined by what we listen to. It has been said that we all hear voices. We just have to decide which ones we listen to and allow to shape our minds. We all hear voices. I know that I do. And sometimes these voices speak to me about things that are selfish and and generate anger and fear. Sometimes they speak of love and hope and truth. There is a battle that goes on within my mind surrounding the voices I hear and the ones that I listen to shape my life. Two of our sons have participated in the charity event called Tough Mudder. Tough Mudder is a 16 to 19 kilometer mud and obstacle course that has been designed by the British Special Forces to challenge the toughest of the tough. One of the obstacles facing the participants is a series of mud and water soaked tunnels that must be crawled through. This presented quite a challenge to one of our sons who struggles with claustrophobia. It didn't help that word had came out just as they were about to enter into one of the tunnels that one of the participants had gotten stuck in one of the tunnels and actually had to be dug out. In tackling this obstacle, it was agreed that the older brother, who doesn't have an issue with confined spaces, would go first, then our other son followed by a friend. As they crawled through the tunnels, the older brother kept talking to his younger sibling. When things began to get dark and cramped and fear threatened to take hold, focusing on the voice of his older brother kept him pressing forward to the eventual light at the end of the tunnel. What freed him from panic and fear was not trying hard to forget about his confined surroundings. It was listening to the voice of his older brother. What voice do you listen to when you enter dark and fearful space? Over the years, countless numbers of people have concluded that there is one voice above all that must be listened to. It has become the sacred trust of these people that God is not silent and in fact does speak to us. Jesus spoke to this reality in his description of himself as the good shepherd who looks after his sheep. As the good shepherd, Jesus cares for his sheep by calling them by name. And the sheep recognize his voice and come to him. Jesus leads his sheep out and they follow him because they know his voice. The ability to hear Jesus' voice is determined by our mind. This means that if we are to meet God at all, the place where we commune with Him will be in our minds. It is in our minds that we hear the voice of God and live in the conscious awareness of His presence. Thoughts happen. The discerning person has learned to identify and listen to the voice that speaks truth. So how does one gain this level of discernment? 
How do we cultivate a mind that is receptive to God's presence and his voice? How do we win the battle for our minds? Well, the battle strategy for developing winning minds begins by acknowledging that you cannot change your mind. Now, this may come as a shock to some of you here this morning. You may argue that you have indeed changed your mind. In fact, you've changed your mind several times already this morning. I would argue that you may may change your decision-making and thought processes, but when it comes to the fundamental change that makes your mind the dwelling place of God, wherein you commune with Him, that that can only happen as a direct intervention of God's Spirit. The Apostle Paul makes this point when he wrote, For those who live according to the flesh set their minds on the things of the flesh. But those who live according to the Spirit set their minds on the things of the Spirit. For to set the mind on the flesh is death, but to set the mind on the Spirit is life and peace. For the mind that is set on the flesh is hostile to God, for it does not submit to God's law. Indeed, it cannot. This reality is further substantiated by God speaking through the Old Testament prophet Jeremiah when Jeremiah wrote, Can an Ethiopian change the color of his skin? Can a leopard take away its spots? Neither can you start doing good, for you have always done evil. The reality is that when left on our own, the thoughts that occupy our minds are not God thoughts. We listen to the voices that shout louder than his directions. Our natural mind is set, our natural mindset is to resist God's voice. Now hear me in this. This doesn't mean that people are not capable of doing, of having good thoughts and and doing acts of kindness. There is the capacity within human beings for some remarkable expressions of goodwill towards one another. But to sustain the level of goodness that leads to redemptive living can only come from a mind given over to and changed by the Spirit of God. Think of it in this way. My wife and I, when we lived in Poland, took Polish lessons from a lovely lady who showed amazing patience, especially with me. Week after week, we would go to her home and she would instruct us in the Polish language. One of my biggest challenges, besides trying to get my mouth around sounds that I had never said before, was to stop thinking like an English speaker. When trying to verbalize a statement in Polish, I often thought of it first in English and then tried to express it using Polish words, but framing my sentence as I would in English. That did not work. And sometimes I would get the right words, but sell them in the right order. And our teacher would often tell me to stop thinking like an English speaker and start thinking like a Polish speaker. More than once, I must confess to you that uh, I wished and perhaps even prayed that God would give me a gift of tongue specific to the Polish language. But it didn't ever happen. And so, although it may be possible for us to get into our thinking some thoughts that would lead to living the way God intends for us to live, the words and actions will not come out in the right order or with proper understanding. In order for our minds to become receptive to God's presence and our thoughts to become attuned to His voice, a change in our minds needs to take place that will allow us to think God's thoughts 
with full understanding. We must experience a total mind remake by the Spirit of God. And unlike my request for God to give me the ability to speak and learn and speak Polish, that when we pray to God to change our way of thinking and have minds that are set on what His Spirit desires, He hears those prayers. And He answers them with great delight. It is with this change in mind that the Apostle Paul admonished the Ephesian believers as well as us. Let the Spirit change your way of thinking and make you into a new person. The truth of the matter is only God can change a mind. However, God will only do this when we invite him to change our minds, to renew our minds. So again, the Apostle Paul instructs us with this admonition. And so, dear brothers and sisters, I plead with you to give your bodies to God because of all he has done for you. Let them be a living and holy sacrifice, the kind he will find acceptable. This is truly the way to worship him. Don't copy the behavior and customs of this world, but let God transform you into a new person by changing the way you think. Then you will learn to know God's will for you, which is good and pleasing and perfect. Notice what the Apostle Paul says here. He instructs us to give ourselves to God and let him change our thought patterns. When God is in mind, our thoughts begin to flow from a new perspective. We naturally gravitate towards living in the way that God has set out for us. Now, the word is used to establish the offering of ourselves to God, uh, translated in the text that I just read for you as truly the way to worship, is an interesting word that's rather difficult, actually, to translate. And so various translations of the scriptures, the English scriptures, have used the words like your spiritual act of worship or reasonable or intelligent or offered by mind and heart. The, the Greek word that is used by the apostles is, is, is logikos. And it actually carries with it the idea of our English word logical or informed. And so the apostle makes the point that when our minds are truly changed by God, it is the most logical, the most natural thing for us to honor God with our thought patterns and our life choices. And so I kind of like the way Eugene Peterson translates Romans 12, 1 and 2 in the message. He writes... So here's what I want you to do, God helping you. Take your everyday, ordinary life, your sleeping, eating, going to work, and walking around life, and place it before God as an offering. Embracing what God does for you is the best thing you can do for Him. Don't become so well-adjusted to your culture that you fit into it without even thinking. Instead, fix your attention on God. You'll be changed from the inside out. Readily recognize what he wants from you and quickly respond to it. Unlike the culture around you, always dragging you down to its level of immaturity. God brings the best out of you, develops well-formed maturity in you. And so the matter before us boils down to this. It is not who we think we are that changes us. Rather, it is who we think we are not. And we are not people who on our own have the resources to create 
a beautiful mind. Perhaps you've read the book or heard about the book and subsequent movie entitled by those words, A Beautiful Mind. Both the book and the movie recall the the life of John Nash, a brilliant mathematician whose genius landed him a full professorship at the prestigious Massachusetts Institute of Technology before he was out of his 20s. Nash's work eventually led to the receiving of the Nobel Prize in Economic Science. Unfortunately, Nash also suffered from schizophrenia a condition that caused him to make exaggerated statements about himself and to see images and hear voices, none of which were connected to reality. In the movie, we see Nash, who's played by Russell Crowe, interacting with the voices of of people and, and, and things that seemed absolutely real to him, but were only a product of his delusion. The biggest challenge for Nash was to distinguish between what was real and what was not. Over time, Nash was able to learn the art of discernment. He learned to test the voices to find out which ones were false and which ones were true. In a powerful scene near the end of the movie, Nash comes out of the classroom in which he has just been teaching and encounters a man whom he'd never seen before who wants to speak to him. The man says to Nash that he has come to talk with him about being awarded the Nobel Prize. Nash is silent for a moment. He has suffered too much from listening to voices of grandiosity. He is not going to listen to the voice on his own. And so he stops one of his students and he says, Excuse me, do you see a man standing here? Is he in your line of vision? Is he for real? The student says, Yes. And so Nash turns to the man and states, Okay, I'll listen to you now. So you've made the decision to ask God to change your mind. And make something beautiful out of it. You are earnest in your desire to make listening to his voice real in your life. To let God be at home in your thinking. How do you know if you are truly listening or if you are only pretending? Well, in his letter to the church in the Asia Minor city of Philippi, the Apostle Paul gives us some help for living with a beautiful mind when he wrote, Finally, brothers and sisters... Whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, think about such things. The striking word in this command is the word whatever. And in contrast to the anemic usage that this word has in our current vocabulary, you know, whatever, The apostle tells us how to redeem whatever. When it comes to developing a beautiful mind, one that reflects the indwelling presence of God, we do have a part to play. We have great freedom, whatever, to shape our minds with spirit-guided, truth-based, life-producing thoughts and feelings. The whatever we allow into our minds eventually shapes the mind and will ultimately express itself in what we do and become. I make my mind a dwelling place for God when I deliberately choose to fill it with thoughts that God says are excellent and praiseworthy. When I ask God to help me think in ways that are pure and right and wholesome and wise and loving, that bring out the best in me and people around me, not the worst, 
the beautiful, not the ugly. Nothing helps me in this process quite like feeding my mind with the scriptures. Now, there's a biblical discipline that fosters a learning frame of mind that has become mostly lost on us in the Christian and especially, I think, the evangelical Christian church. It's the practice of meditation. Meditation has become a scary word to many within Christian circles because often the word is viewed as smacking of new age ideology or associated with Eastern religions. Don't Buddhists Buddhists meditate, some might ask, and the answer would be yes, they do. But as someone has observed, they also eat breakfast and that doesn't seem to bother us. Scripture has a lot to say about practicing meditation wisely. Joshua, as he prepared the children of Israel to enter the promised land, gave them this instruction. Keep this book of the law always on your lips. Meditate on it day and night so that you may be careful to do everything written in it. Then you will be prosperous and successful. And the psalmist makes numerous references to meditation. Blessed is the one who does not walk in step with the wicked or stand in the way that sinners take or sit in the company of mockers, but whose delight is in the law of the Lord and who meditates on his law day and night. My heart grew hot within me while I meditated. The fire burned. Then I spoke with my tongue. And then this, I will consider all your works and meditate on all your mighty deeds. These are just a few references promoting the positive benefits of meditation. If you are still feeling a little uncomfortable about meditating, well, do a Bible study on the the topic. You will find a lot of support for the practice in shaping the way that we think. It is time, I think, that we recapture the habit of meditation from a biblical standpoint. Meditation, someone has said, is simply positive worry. When we worry, we can't stop thinking about what it is that is concerning us. It sticks in our minds. We go over it again and again and again and again. And so if you know how to worry, you know how to meditate. The practice of meditation is simply going over in our minds praiseworthy thoughts towards God on an ongoing basis and reflecting carefully on what he has said concerning us. And as we develop in this practice, we train ourselves to listen for God's voice, prompting us to adopt the posture of leaning into him. And by leaning into God, I am speaking to the mindset that brings about the conscious awareness of living in God's presence. What would it be like to wake up each and every morning thinking about God? Or how much of a difference would it make in resting well if God were on my mind as I drifted off to sleep? What would my response to people be like if before I spoke, I filtered my thoughts and attitudes through the realization that God is listening to me? What would my day shape up to be if I were constantly speaking to God about the pressures that I face or the tensions I feel or the lack of understanding I sense, asking for his help and taking him up on the offer to cast all of my cares upon him? Well, I don't think it takes much imagination to see how this could change my whole perspective on how life unfolds for me. So let me say to you, 
when loving God with all of your mind, make it your moment-by-moment mental exercise to be present to God's presence. And so when it comes to winning the battle for our minds, I think our grandson kind of got it right. It starts by giving over to God all of our thinkings and grows into the understanding that what makes a mind great, what makes a beautiful mind, is thinking that settles down on God as an abiding presence in our lives and deeply, deeply loves him for it. Let's pray. And so, Father, we're grateful for the minds that you give to us, the capacity that we have to think and imagine and, and, and come up with amazing ideas and thoughts and all. But we realized this morning that the most amazing thoughts come from after our mind has been changed and renewed by your Spirit. And so help us to be people who live with minds that you have changed, who live under the power and enabling and enlightenment of your spirit, that we might be the kind of people who think thoughts that are honoring and pleasing to you and that change not only the way we are, but also the, the, the in, has an influence in the sphere of influences that you place us in. We'll thank you in the name of Jesus. Amen. Would you stand with me? So we have been looking these last five weeks at this commandment that uh, Jesus had affirmed that was given to him by a, a, a lawyer, teacher of the law. When this lawyer asked, so what is it that I need to do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus said, well, what, do you, what does the scripture say? And he quoted the Shema, which is part of the Old Testament practice of the Jewish people who recited this over and over and over and over and over again. Love the Lord with all of your heart, with all of your mind, with all of your soul, with all of your strength. And so this morning I would just say to you, as we go from this place, may that kind of love be your expression to our God. May he be honored and glorified by how you love him with your heart, how you express it through your soul, how you show it and demonstrate it and by exercising the strengths and gifts and abilities that he's given to you. And then how you demonstrate that you love him by thinking thoughts that are worthy and praiseworthy and good. So my friends, go with this. The love of God that passes all understanding can guard our hearts and our minds and our souls and our strengths. In the name of Jesus, amen. Be blessed.